Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on His side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to, we've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. Suffering succotash. You've heard it. You've maybe said it, depending on if you were growing up in the era of Looney Tunes and Sylvester the Cat and Yosemite Sam. I'm Crystal Heath. You're listening to The Frittle Show on KVXL 11.1 FM, Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church. And today we're talking about suffering succotash. But first, let me remind you, next Sunday, the 17th, we are having a drive-in service here at Liberty Baptist Church. Our address is 6501 West Lake Mead Boulevard. You can drive into our church and be here for our first ever drive-in service. Now, we do have a limited amount of space, so we need you to sign up and reserve your spot. You can do that by going to experienceliberty.com. Be sure to do that soon as once it fills there will be no spaces left and you will have to park in the overflow parking where you would not be able to see uh, Pastor Tice. You will be able to hear him though because we will be broadcasting live on the radio. Uh, so you can join us for that and we hope that you will do that on next Sunday, not tomorrow. Tomorrow is Mother's Day. Make sure you say nice things to your mom. Send your mom a nice card. Get her some flowers. Get her a crumble cookie by submitting a video of yourself saying nice things about your mom to us here at info at experienceliberty.com. Anyway, <sighs> Driving services next Sunday. But for today's podcast, as I was thinking and praying about what I wanted to talk about this week on the podcast, you know, I've I've seen more and more and heard more and more lately where Christians are posting online about how we are undergoing persecution or how we are living through a difficult time or how this is an incredibly, uh, so many people talking about what a difficult time this is and how we are suffering and how uh, Christians are being persecuted and, and things of this nature. And I, I want to preface what we're about to discuss by saying that there are people right now who are genuinely suffering. There are children in underprivileged countries who are going to die because their chain of supply has been affected. And that's just a fact. You can go in and you can do your own research there. And there are people in this country uh, who are suffering, who have lost their jobs, who are on unemployment or who can't get unemployment because of different reasons. And there are small businesses that are having to close because they haven't been open and they just aren't able to, to sustain and so there is there is difficult times that are being experienced by many people, not only in our country, but around the world right now. But when it comes to actual suffering, I don't know that we as Americans, I, I should say that we most Americans, I don't believe that most Americans can take what we are living through right now and describe it as suffering or persecution or even anything remotely close to that. And I, I've, I've had this conversation with different people before and some people have said, well, you can't say that because people have lost their jobs. And I, I know that. And I'm not talking about those people specifically, but I, I am talking about Christianity as a whole in the United States. I don't believe that most Christians in the United States have even a general idea 
of what suffering, real suffering, looks like. Of what true inconvenience even looks like. I mean, if you have indoor plumbing, and you've always had indoor plumbing, and you've never had to go to the bathroom in a place where all there is is a little closet that has, for a quote-unquote door, a tarp covering that is actually made out of a burlap sack, which only covers half of the doorway, and inside this little closet there is a uh, used coffee container, and that is your toilet... If you've always experienced the joys of indoor plumbing, or even if you've experienced the joys of an outhouse, I don't think we've truly been inconvenienced. If you've never lived in a place where the government dictates when or when you may not use your electricity, or if you even get electricity at all, I don't think we've even experienced inconvenience. If you've never lived in a place where gasoline is 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 dollars or more per gallon, I don't think we've experienced even true inconvenience. If you never lived in a place where your life is in danger because you profess the name of Jesus, then I don't believe that we've experienced persecution as a Christian. And I know some people will disagree with me, and I know that this isn't necessarily a popular thing to say, but I just, I firmly believe that what we are experiencing is really not suffering. What we are experiencing is something that we've never experienced before, really, as Americans. What we are experiencing, this generation is experiencing being told no. And my generation was raised in a world where we were told yes all the time. Or we were told, even if we're not the best, we still get a medal because everybody's the same. We were told that everybody's a winner. And you can do anything you want. And you can be anything you want. And you can go anywhere you want and do anything you want. And now we're being told no. And I, I am afraid that we're misinterpreting being told no as suffering. And persecution. Now, I'm not speaking specifically to our rights as Christians and whether or not we should be able to have church services and how that affects is affected by the Constitution and if we should be able to travel here and there and if any, the government has a right to tell us to wear a mask. I'm not. I'm not talking about any of that today. I am specifically speaking about suffering and persecution in a general sense, because I, I this this notion that we are being persecuted. I think could possibly be misguided. And I, I'm going to lay out for you today why I think that that could be. All right? So Christian persecution is not something that is new. In fact, we, we see that the first Christian martyr is Stephen, stoned to death for his profession of faith. I don't know about you, but I haven't heard of anybody being stoned to death for their profession of faith in America lately, or even in the past several hundred years. That progressed until Nero in AD 64 decided to target Christians for persecution following the burning of Rome that destroyed much of the city. And we can discuss whether or not we think Nero is responsible, that's beside the point. Following the burning of Rome, uh, he took advantage of that devastation uh, to persecute Christians. He ordered Christians to be rounded up and killed. 
They were, some were torn apart by dogs. Others were burnt alive as human torches lighting his palace. I don't know about you, but I, I think that if I'm only allowed to get together with 50 people, or if I'm told that I need to stay home for a few weeks, that that's maybe not persecution. That's maybe not the same thing as having wild dogs tear apart your children. It's maybe not the same thing as, as being lit on fire to light someone's palace. In the 4th and, and 5th century, persecution of Christians would kind of uh, wax and, and wane and fall as, as Rome went through various stages of, of paganism and of Greek philosophy and, and Persian cults and Egyptian cults. And, and Christianity kind of became tolerated, but also persecuted, depending on what was the general thought of the day. Until, of course, Constantine comes along, and then you have the rise of Catholicism. Meanwhile, in the Middle East, as the rise of Islam came about in the 7th century, Christian practices were forbidden. Churches could not use uh, crosses or bells. They were considered inferior to Muslims and had to pay, pay, pay a tax because they were Christians. You have an extra tax because you are not a Muslim because you are a Christian. They were allowed to convert to Islam, but if an, a Muslim converted to Christianity, they were considered apostate and faced penalties including execution. I haven't heard lately that if you share Jesus with your neighbor and your neighbor accepts Christ as their savior, that they will then face potential death by the state. I just I have not seen that. I haven't found it. Then, of course, you have the pilgrims who flee religious persecution in England and head to, uh, head to Holland, after which to come to the Americas. And I'll, I'll get to them in a minute, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, you had the... And by the way, I'm leaving out massive portions of history because time does not allow it. But if you want to be challenged in your Christian faith, if you want to give your teenage children passion... For Jesus, have them read Fox's Book of Martyrs. I challenge you, if you've never read that book, it will be very difficult, I promise you. But you need to get a copy. They are very inexpensive. Get a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs. And the next time you're tempted to say that we are suffering or that we're being persecuted, I challenge you to just read a few pages of Fox's Books of Martyrs. Dutch Anabaptists David Vanderleen and Levina Guyens were murdered by Catholic authorities in 1554. They were strangled, but not, not till death, burned, but not till death, and then impaled with iron forks because of their faith in Christ. John Ogilvy, the Protestant government that the pilgrims fled from, Protestant governments in England and Scotland joined together to capture this man. He was hanged and then disemboweled because of his faith in Christ. The Huguenots in France, French Protestants, 
were killed by the thousands by a mob of Roman Catholics in 1572. Thousands because of their faith in Jesus Christ. In 1641, at the beginning of the Irish Rebellion, Catholics drove Protestants to the water like hogs. They were stripped naked and forced into water where they would be drowned at sword point. Anyone that survived too long for the mob was shot. In 1555, a man by the name of John Rogers was murdered. He converted under the influence of William Tyndale in the 1530s due to Tyndale's work in the translations of the Bible, which, by the way, if you don't know the stories of John Wycliffe and William Tyndale, you need to go and read those. He was burned alive at the hands of England's Queen Mary, charged with heresy because of his faith in Jesus Christ. That is the England that the pilgrims left. That is the England that the persecuted pilgrims fled from. They went to Holland. They didn't leave Holland because of persecution. The pilgrims did not come to America because of religious persecution. The pilgrims went to Holland because of religious persecution. They left Holland because they decided it was not a conducive environment to raising their children. They said that the children of Holland were corrupting the pilgrim youth, and so they decided that they would make the journey uh, to the New World. They arrived in 1620. But if you want to talk about suffering, the Pilgrim story is just incredibly, incredibly sad. Successful in the end. But sad overall. In the 66-day voyage, only one pilgrim died in the passage, but 45 of the original 102 passengers that came over with the pilgrims on the Mayflower would die in their first winter alone. That's suffering. That is hardship. And that's just the persecution side of things. And again... I have left out so much that I could tell you about Christian persecution throughout history, but I, I challenge you to go and look at that yourself. But beyond, beyond the persecution side of it, if you want to talk about suffering, for every 1,000 children born in 18th century London, almost 500 died before the age of two, usually due to malnutrition, bad water, dirty food, and poor hygiene. In the 1700s in the American colonies, women were expected to bear between five and ten live children, generally would be pregnant more than a dozen times because of infant mortality being so high, many families didn't even name their children until they had reached the age of two years old because the life expectancy was so... I don't even know how... We can't even wrap our heads around that. You don't name your child until the age of two because you anticipate that they won't make it. Now, that, that wasn't necessarily across the board, but it was just a common practice. 
called him the baby or the little angel or the little visitor. Because it was so common for children to die. <sighs> Owning land was nearly unheard of. Unless you were incredibly rich and inherited your fortune and never knew what work was, you probably didn't own land. You didn't have electricity. You didn't have motorized vehicles. You didn't have generally clean drinking water even in the developed parts of the world. You were relying on agriculture and whatever it was that you could grow yourself or scrounge yourself. Going to the grocery store with a list was something you did not do. Because the grocery stores of the day... <coughs> Excuse me. Did not look anything like our modern Walmart. Merchants didn't have a supply chain like we have today. No, they had whatever they happened to find. And so what you would get at the store was whatever you would happen to find there when you went to the store. We are not... We are not suffering, you guys. There was a time when there were no doctors in this country. In fact, the first medical school didn't come into play here until around the American Revolution. And even after, doctors were few and far between. And going to the doctor was your last resort. Because anything that they might do was probably going to be extremely painful, expensive, pretty much just experimental, and could lead to death anyway. <sighs> Read about life in this country. Read about life around the world. In the 16th, 17th, 18th century. Read about the persecution of Christians under Nero. Read about the persecution of Christians throughout the centuries. And I guarantee you, your definition of suffering and persecution will dramatically, drastically change. Having to do church online temporarily, in my personal opinion is not Christian persecution. Do I agree with everything that the government, uh, both federally and, and locally, have decided as we have gone through this pandemic? No, I don't. Do I think that there are people that are truly uh, suffering? Of course I do. Are there people who have died because of this pandemic? Yes, there are. And we grieve with those families. We mourn with those that mourn. But I believe we need to be exceptionally careful when we compare what is happening to us today as Christians in America with any other kind of religious persecution or Christian suffering from the time of the early church until now. Today, 80%, 21 Wilberforce, a, a credible organization reports that 80% of the world's people live in places where there's some form of restriction, discrimination, or ongoing persecution because of their beliefs. In Myanmar, a, a woman had her son ripped from her arms and flung into a fire. 
Okay. In Algeria, the government has closed 14 of the country's 50 churches. The government just closed the churches. In Egypt, Islam is the religion of the state. While Christians make up 8 to 10% of Egypt's nearly 100 million people, Sharia law is the source of legislation. And all throughout the country, Christians face issues of mobs converging on churches to harass Christians, to burn churches, and to arrest Christians. In Eritrea, a small African nation that borders the Red Sea, 150 Christians were arrested this year. They're hardly ever charged with their crimes. They disappear into the prison system. Sometimes they're released and sometimes they're never seen from again. In Iran, over 800,000 Christians face intense persecution in a country where converting from Islam to anything else is illegal. Nine Iranian Christians were sentenced to five years in prison each for acting against national security, a.k.a. for having a house church meeting. You know, if you're able to get together with your small group or your prayer group or whatever your church calls it, because you don't have ten or more people, you are already experiencing more freedom than most of the Christians in the world today. In North Korea, which has topped the world watch list of most dangerous countries for Christians year after year after year, they live in a regime with the most ruthless human rights record of the 21st century. Their children taken away from them and sent to re-education camps. Same as what we've seen happening in China. In Saudi Arabia, the practice of non-Muslim religions is forbidden. There is not a single church for the country's 1.4 million Christians. Charges of apostasy from Islam are still punishable by death, and Christian symbols or meetings of any kind whatsoever are illegal. Today, not just during the coronavirus, but all the time. In Sri Lanka, three churches and three hotels were attacked on Easter Sunday, killing 253 Christians last year, last Easter Sunday in 2019, Sri Lanka. 176 children were left without one or both parents. I could go on. And you, you can do the you can look this up yourself. There are fantastic organizations like Open Doors uh, and, and Voice of the Martyrs. Christian persecution around the world today is one of the biggest human rights issues of the modern era. In fact, even Newsweek last year had an article. Newsweek, the BBC, uh, you, you Google this, you'll find multiple articles on this. The persecution of Christians worldwide has approached or is approaching genocide levels as a report has found that Christianity is at the risk of disappearing completely.
A report. Let me see who did this report. Uh, if it says. Um, the report found that one in three people suffer from religious persecution around the world and stated that evidence shows not only the geographic spread of anti-Christian persecution but also its increasing severity. In some regions, the level and nature of persecution is arguably coming close to meeting the international definition of genocide according to that which was adopted by the UN. The review found that eradicating Christians and other minorities through violence was the explicit objective of extremist groups in Syria, Iraq, Egypt, Northeast Nigeria, and the Philippines. According to Newsweek, these groups are not only murdering Christians for their faith, but also whitewashing all evidence of their existence by destroying churches and removing religious symbols such as crosses. Clergy, meanwhile, are being targeted for kidnapping and killing. The main impact of such genocidal acts against Christians is exodus. Christianity now faces the possibility of being wiped out in parts of the Middle East where its roots go back furthest, and Christianity is at risk of disappearing, representing a massive setback for plurality in the region. Wow. In Iraq... The number of Christians has fallen from 1.5 million people before 2003 to below 120,000 people today. According to the Pew Research Center, in 2016, Christians were harassed in 144 countries, making them the most persecuted religious group in the world. And when I'm the persecution I'm talking about right here is persecution where you can be killed for your faith, where your family can be kidnapped for their faith, where you can be imprisoned for your faith, where your church can be burned, where you 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 get wiped off the map because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Suffering is real in this world. Persecution is real in this world. It doesn't take long. It doesn't take much research. But you can go and you can find story after story after story. From, from Stephen in the book of Acts to, to Sri Lanka, what happened last Easter, to today, everything in between. Christians around the world have been persecuted since the time Jesus left the planet until now. It is a regular part of our existence. We here in the United States have been given a gift unlike any other in the world. We have been given religious freedom and religious opportunity that has been unparalleled in all of history. And though it is unfortunate that we have not been able to meet together in person during the coronavirus, I think that perhaps it is a stretch to say that such a thing would be suffering or persecution when you compare it to suffering and persecution from the time of Christ until now. That is not to say that people haven't suffered. That's not to say that, that, we, that our, there are those going through hard times right now, because there are. And we should reach out and help those especially our, our, our Christian brothers and sisters who might have a small business, who might own a restaurant. If we can eat there, go eat there. Help out where you can. But please don't take to social media and talk about how the government is, is persecuting you because you have to wear a mask if you want to go to church. 
No, that, no, it, that that's not persecution. Is it an infringement upon your constitutional rights? Arguably, yes. But there is a difference between being persecuted for Jesus and having your constitutional rights infringed upon. There is a difference. And I think that is important for we as Christians to remember. When we want to have a conversation with people, when we want to present our case, you, you need to determine whether you, are, whether you are making a statement as someone who is, 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 is speaking from a religious freedom perspective. And you might say, well, that is the constitutional right. True, but our, our founders didn't say anything about masks. And you could argue that, yeah, well, the founders didn't know that this was going to be a thing. That's true. But your constitutional rights, I think, are, are a subject where if you want to have a conversation with the world, then you need to come at it from the perspective of this is what our Constitution says, and this is what I believe because of what our Constitution says. And yes, religious freedom is there. And that would be a constitutional right. But don't confuse your constitutional rights with persecution. Because our constitutional rights have far surpassed what any country in the world has ever had. We have had unparalleled freedom in this country since our founding fathers, and I believe because they were godly men who founded our our country on biblical principles. As, as a general rule, I know we could get into deism and different things, but even deists are... Anyway, I'm not gonna, I don't have time. I can't explain to you today why deists of, of 1776 were probably more in keeping with biblical principles than uh, much of quote-unquote modern Christianity. Don't have time today to do that. All I'm saying is look at Christian persecution throughout history. Look at what life was like in the 1700s and 1800s and, and you might realize that we don't have it so bad. In fact, we have it really, really good. The fact that we're talking about our churches reopening, even with, 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 uh, with new standards and new limitations, the fact that we're able to reopen, the fact that our churches aren't being bombed or burned down, the fact that we don't have to worry about if we're going to be captured and thrown to dogs or captured and lit on fire is a pretty wonderful thing. God has blessed us. And so I encourage you today, rather than going around and, oh, woe is me, how we suffer, how we're persecuted, oh my goodness, think about how incredible we have it and how blessed we are in this country, both with our religious freedom and with our constitutional rights and with our, with our rights in general. As Americans, we are blessed. Whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are of good report, think on these things. That doesn't mean that the other stuff isn't out there or that you shouldn't be educated or informed. But don't dwell on stuff that's, gonna, that's, that's bad. Be, be educated, be informed, be prepared. But then the stuff that you focus on, it's the good stuff. The fact that you have running water, the fact that you have electricity, the fact that hopefully God willing you have a job or, or hopefully God willing if you don't you're collecting unemployment, the fact that you can stream a service online anytime you want to, the fact that we're going to be able to get together and have a drive-in service next week, the fact that you can meet with people in your home and talk about Jesus without worrying about the government breaking down the door and arresting you and killing you for it. 
is an incredible freedom that much of the rest of the world doesn't experience even when there is not a coronavirus. Don't get so caught up in the what we can't do. Oh my goodness, we're suffering. This life is so hard. There is hard. People have suffered. And, and again, I'm not trying to downplay that. What I'm saying is that for most American Christians that I have seen complaining online, your life is probably a lot better than you even realize because you haven't taken the time lately to stop and count your blessings. In the church that I grew up in, we had a special needs woman who Count Your Blessings was her favorite song. And she had more challenges than most of us uh, will experience in our lifetime. Encounter Many Blessings was her favorite song. It was the song that she would always request whenever we would have a hymn sing. But she'd always request that when we sang it, rather than simply sing Encounter Many Blessings, name them one by one, that after we sang Encounter Many Blessings, name them one by one, that the next line that we would sing it as Count Your Many Blessings, name them ton by ton. Because she said our blessings are just overflowing. Our cups are literally overflowing with blessing. And we get so caught up in the things that are, that are going wrong that sometimes we forget the goodness of God. So that's my challenge to you today, this weekend, this coming week. Take time to stop and count your blessings. And don't just name them one by one. Name them ton by ton because your blessings are overflowing. And I know that is true simply because if you live in this country, your blessings are overflowing. If you look for the bad, expecting to find it, you will. So stop looking for the bad and start focusing on the good. Stop living in a mindset of suffering, thuckatash, and start living in a way that represents the fact that we have an eternal hope, we have an eternal home, we have a good God who knows what he is doing and who is in control, and we trust him. Live like it. And by the way, just a little fun fact for you. While everybody's running around all suffering, succotash, it's a terrible, terrible thing. I wanted to tell you what suffering succotash actually means. Because if you grew up in the era of Looney Tunes, you probably said it once or twice yourself. You probably heard it more than once. This is a very common phrase in Looney Tunes. But the phrase itself is actually a euphemism talking about the suffering of Jesus on the cross. There was a phrase that's not common today, but it was previously called suffering savior. And so as to avoid getting in trouble with, with media publications in the early 19th century, the phrase sucker, suffering succotash became common as a replacement for suffering savior. And I'm guessing today that while many of our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world are in fact suffering for their Savior, you and I probably aren't. So pray for them. And then as I, as I said just a moment ago, focus on the good. Focus on the blessings. 
you're probably not suffering. Or maybe you are to a degree. But even in the midst of our suffering or what we consider suffering, God is good. God is faithful. And if we love him, he's promised that everything that happens in our lives will work together for good. Not that it will all be good, but that his plan is perfect and that we can trust him to work everything together for good. Whether that be a virus, whether that be a loss of a job, whether it be the loss of a friend or a loved one or a neighbor or a coworker, whether it be being stuck at home or whether it be having to go into work, whether it be being unemployment, whether it be having to wait an hour at line in, in and out. All things the Bible promises work together for good to them that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. Are you today? Do you love God? If you have no idea what I'm talking about, there's a really cool new website. I just want to make sure I don't get it wrong real quick, but I believe it's five things you must know.com. Let me double check. Yeah, so go to just type in your browser, five things you must know.com. And if you do know what that's all about, share it with a friend this week. And we look forward to seeing you here at Liberty Baptist Church next Sunday, May 17th, for our drive-in service. If you are not here in Las Vegas or, or your church isn't able to, to meet together because of your state's regulations right now or you don't have a live service or you just are looking for an extra service to add to your regular uh, viewing, please join us. We'll be broadcasting live on the radio, 101.1 FM here in Las Vegas, as well as on our website, kvxl101.com. And on our, on our church's website, you'll be able to watch a live stream of the, of the video, as well as on our Facebook page at Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas. So be sure to check those out. Happy Mother's Day to all the amazing moms out there. We love you, and we look forward to seeing you uh, both for church tomorrow and for our driving service next weekend.